Welcome to Seat Time, everybody. We're the online show for the off-road enthusiast. I'm Brian Pierce, your purveyor of awesome. This episode is pretty stinking fantastic. We got Mr. Tommy Norton, the 1990 Blackwater 100 winner on the KTM 125, and his stories in accent will make this entire episode completely worth your while. So thank you for tuning in. Reminder that it, we do have our NEPG interviews and videos out on our podcast feed and YouTube channel. So if you haven't checked those out yet, please do share, comment, like, make sure your friends can enjoy them as well. Soon we're going to be posting some new Sherco videos from the unboxing and first ride, so be on the lookout for those. Reminder, if you'd like to support us, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash seattime. You could buy a Seat Time t-shirt from us at fpmg.threadless.com or using the affiliate links on seattime.co slash support. All right, and as I said, we are here with Mr. Tommy Norton. So, Mr. Tommy Norton, I have to ask, how the heck are you doing? And are you still a self-proclaimed masshole? Well, I'm doing fine, and, um, you know, up here in Massachusetts, everybody's a little abrupt, as they say, or, uh, you know, the way you say hello in mass is you put your dukes up first, check somebody out, <laughs> do what they like, you know? I, I like, like that. It. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, I, and I'm sure you know about all the J-Day series that goes on in that New England area, but I would get a chance to chat with those guys in years past as we did a lot of the live web shows that we used to do. And man, that was the, the, the accents and some of the terminology, the slang, if you will, that comes from the mouths of the J-Day racers just leaves my jaw dropped. It's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, we have a whole bunch of slang up here, and it's very regional as well. Where you know, I live in kind of the south, south. Kind of, I'm right at actually at the edge of Rhode Island, right in the corner where Mass and Rhode Island come together. And you know, there are like different dialects in just different parts of Mass. And then you go into Rhode Island, and there's like another couple. And then you go up into Maine, and it's like another planet. You know, so there's like everybody talks a little different, and there's all kinds of crazy slang. You know, Western Mass, they're always like. So, dude, hey, you know, hey, so we went over that bridge, dude, hey, and they just go on and on. It's like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> That's awesome. What's funny is, so I grew up in New Orleans, right, but you can listen to me, and I just have, I literally have almost no dialect, which is interesting, but what's weird is because of the fact that I grew up right in the city of New Orleans, which is a hodgepodge, so you can kind of pick up a lot of different accents or none, as I did, um, but then you could be, you know, 30 minutes south of the city and to your, you know, then you're in the swamp and you've got this like total coon ass crazy, you know, uh, dialect and or, or and or way of speak and slang and all that kinds of stuff. And then you go to Lafayette and south of Lafayette, you know, and then you work your run way around the state and everybody sounds absolutely insane. Um, and so it sounds like it's for whatever reason, regionally, you guys kind of have that same same thing going on. Yeah, we do. And, you know, it's always whenever, you know. I called it racing down south. It always wasn't down south, you know. West Virginia to me really isn't south, but it's certainly further south than here. Not as far south as Louisiana, that's for sure. But, you know, half the time I'd just be talking and people would just start cracking up, you know, standing <laughs> 10 feet away from me. they just start dying laughing. <laughs> they were like, say that again, you know. And I'd be like, what did I say? I don't even know what I said. I was just talking. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> that you're uh it would be the same like i think what it would be great for that is like fireside chat right where like you know you're yep. you're four or five beers in and you're just kind of so everything i guess you could say everything's a tad bit more lively a tad bit more loosened up to a degree and then that's probably when like it gets a little bit more heavy-handed than even you would know and that's like for somebody like myself sitting there next to you chatting you in that situation i would just be i would be that person that's i'm sorry i'm not laughing at you i'm laughing with you i promise no, I don't care. <laughs> a true masshole who doesn't I care. Got, I got thick skin. You're not going to hurt me with your words. I like it, dude. I like it. Well, I just wanted to say thank you very much for taking the time to chatting with us. Um, and, and I guess, like, I don't even... We've been trying to kind of figure out our format, right? And obviously, there's kind of like a pinnacle to what we could talk about in your career, what a lot of people have talked to you about. But I, I kind of would like to even go further back from, you know, the 1990 Blackwater 100. I, you know, I, we know you're from Massachusetts, from, from the Norfolk area. And then, of course, you rode dirt bikes with Netra and then one day went to the Blackwater and won. But what was before that? You know what I mean? Like, how does somebody like yourself get into riding dirt bikes? Was it a family thing? Was it an interest that your, you, that your family allowed you to get into? Like, how did it all come together for you? Well, I, my dad had a Honda 160 when I was a kid, a little kid, you know, like one of those step through things, like a little street bike, you know, and he used to commute to work on that. And, um, so there was always a motorcycle that I can remember around the house. And I would ride on the back with him. And then he got a, he actually got a BMW uh, R755, which back then was quite the bike. A street bike with a fairing and, you know, bags and everything. Yeah. You know, we would ride on, you know, he would take us for rides on that. And, you know, my brother and I begged him for mini bikes constantly. And uh, when we were little. And my brother got a SL70 when he was 10. And, uh, Maybe 10 or 11-ish like that. And so I was just nagging him the whole time. And he wouldn't let us get a little tiny mini bike with little tires because he didn't like the little tires. He wanted big tires. Yeah, he but wanted I, the knobbies. Well, no, those bikes those bikes had the trail wings on them. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm looking at some pictures right now. He just wanted you to have yeah. bikes with, like, actual. <laughs> yeah, instead of, like, a CT70 or a Q850 with the tiny little tires, you know, like a 10-inch rim or whatever mm-hmm. you know, or 8 wheel. So he always, you know, said that you're not getting a bike till you're big enough to get a mini bike with big tires. So, and he liked Hondas. So, you know, he says you're getting a Honda SL70. So I ended up when I finally got one. We actually, I and we had to pay for half of them too, and pay for it with paper route money and all that stuff. He didn't just give us anything. And uh, so I got my my. So we went and looked at another SL70. We went into the city into Boston, which was really weird. And this kid brings this SL70 off an elevator in an apartment building and rolls it out in the front and just starts it up. Here, ride around the parking lot. My father's like, hell no, we're not riding around in here. <laughs> you kidding me? You know? And uh, so we bought it. Actually, I bought it, but it had a Bassani pipe, had no lights on it, and it had knobbies. And my brother got that one. I bought his bike, and then I had to ride his old bike until I could learn how to ride. And then he outgrew that, and he got a 125, and I got the bike I bought. Which was kind of weird, but yeah, it's like, how did that work out? Thanks, big bro. Yeah, Yeah. whatever, you know. But hey, I had a bike; I wasn't complaining that much, right? So that's how it started on a little Honda seventy, riding around the driveway. First, we had a big dirt driveway, and I just learned how to ride the clutch. You know, first bike with a clutch. You know, it wasn't like I had a little bike with little no clutch and a centrifugal, you know, mini bike. 
Yeah, it's different, well, obviously, for everybody today because, you know, start even up to 65 now, you can get them, you know, without a clutch, which is like, – right. actually, our PW80s still come without clutches. Right. So, you know, first bike I had had a clutch and uh, all that. And so that was the first thing, go ride. And, you know, like a little while later, I got a flat, and I was like, dude, I got a flat. He goes, you know where the tools are. Go fix it. <laughs> you, know how, you know how to fix your bicycle with a flat, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, it's no different. If you can't get the tire off, just come and get me. But I did it. I got it off. I fixed it and put it back together and kept riding. So, I'd imagine kinda, that that's where a lot of the mass hole slang terms came from, was removing that first rear tire to fix a flat. Yep. Oh, yeah. A lot of, you know, I was Jesus Christ and my brother was God damn it. You know, that's the old saying. <laughs> and dad started yelling, you know. <laughs> I like it. So, what? What? Uh, just some time framing. What's kind of like? What years are we looking at for this? For you guys with these kind of these the SL seventies, and then your brother getting on the one twenty five. I was ten when I got that, so I was on it from ten to twelve, and then uh, maybe maybe thirteen, five, twelve and a half, thirteen. My uh, my dad bought a TL one twenty five to ride with us, and he would just putt around. He didn't really want to go. And uh, he always fell down and got a big bruise or something and hurt himself. But uh, so my brother got that TL-125, and then I ended up getting a TL-125. And my dad started taking us to trials, and he wanted us to learn how to ride trials because awesome. he said it would help. And he was right. Absolutely, so we had, yeah. We, we had shitty bikes. I literally did trials on an SL-70, literally. <laughs> That's the first first race i did was a trials and we did like a half a dozen of those or something on those little things you know that's and, fantastic uh, and then got tl125s and did that and then my brother got uh what did he get next we bought a bunch of used junkers out of the the want dad was really big i don't know if you guys had that it was just a paper like a little tiny newspaper that was ads and you paid when you made the sale kind of thing oh yeah yeah we bought and sold everything out of that, and we would buy junky old Kawasaki KE100s and fix them and paint them in the cellar and then sell them and make 20 bucks or 50 bucks, and that would help pay for our riding. Do stuff like that, buy and sell bicycles. And and that would and help it, you like learn how to be a mechanic too, right? I mean, like obviously your dad was kind of yeah. like, if you want to ride it, you got to know how to work on it. That was one part yeah. of it. But then at the same time, as you guys are doing all that, I mean, you're really learning how these – crazy machines at this time compared to what we have now how they function right oh yeah they were very archaic you know they still had points back then you know <laughs> yes we, we we carried around tools to file our points when we went riding you know <laughs> think of that and drum brakes that when they got wet they didn't work at all think of that I yeah mean, at all you know I'm trying to remember I had drum brakes on an XR100 and obviously everything before that. But then it was like once I got on a CR80 was when I actually had disc brakes. And that was – right. so for me, that was maybe late 80s. Yeah. Yeah, 80s – you know, 86 Honda 125. Wasn't that the first 125 with the front disc and a rear drum? Yeah. Something, no? Maybe so, I could be wrong, but something like that. Hey, you man, know? you're going to be more right than I am, and that's okay. That's the way we run this show. We're beer drinkers and bin tracers. We're not professionals. Okay. <laughs> so where does racing come in, right? You know what I mean? Like, 
you guys yeah. are you guys are doing all this right you guys are you're you're, you're working hard on all these motorcycles and, and bicycles to kind of figure out how to make a little bit of money to, to ride more um how, how does someone like yourself find out about oh there's a race i can go to and, and then oh i want to do more of that yeah well we had the local club here it was the king philip trail riders who put on a lot of enduro so we knew about them and we went to uh actually when i was a little kid we went over to uh plainville which is two towns over and uh they had just a fun day ride for kids over there and i don't even know if it was part of their junior enduro or what but netra hair scram- netra has always had uh hair scrambles well enduros was first enduros and junior enduros it was always a big program and then the hair scramble started in the 80s but uh I remember going to this grammar school and parking in the parking lot with the pickup truck and taking the mini bikes out and entering this event and going for this little ride. And the only thing I really remember about it is I was stuck on this giant rock and it was like the size of a motorcycle trailer, like, you know, good, or maybe almost the size of like a house, you know, in the woods, because it's huge rock hills out here. So, so large, a very large, very, rock. very large. <laughs> and I'm, there's pine trees growing out of it, you know, and you're in the woods, but it's all rock, the whole thing. And I remember being on the Honda 70 and having it wide open and smoking the tire and stuck on the rock, just holding it wide open. And one of the guys from the club was there pulling people up this hill, you know. And he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, hey, kid, let off the throttle and lug it up the hill. And I looked at him and I just let off the throttle and the tire slowed down and it just all of a sudden went, and the bike went up the rock with no spin. And I, I, I was like, wow, that's how you do it. The, like, the day you learned about torque <laughs> yeah it was like the light bulb went ding, and i was like oh that's how you do it so i learned that at like 11 and you know that that's how you learn you know just little stupid instances like that you know but so the whole new england scene was all about enduros when i was a kid and hair scrambles were a fun event to break the, the racer's edge for guys to just go to a race and have fun so we started going we actually started going to Junior Enduros, my brother and I, and he had a... Is Junior Enduro just Enduros for younger kids, or is Junior Enduro yeah. like... An, okay. Yeah, no license required, closed course. It's kind of like a hair scramble with laps, except that they actually had checkpoints, and you had to stop and make sure you weren't early, and if you were late, you entered the check, and they had a gas stop and a layover. Okay, so they interesting. Made all the, That's cool. They made all the, the little rules to try to make you follow the rules so that when you graduated to a senior enduro, as they called it, then you actually had a clue, which I never really did have a clue. I just wanted to go fast. I hear that. So, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't, I but that's what I wanted I, to do. I didn't want to stop at the checkpoint. I just wanted to keep going. But anyway... But uh, so my brother had a Penton 125 and I had a Husky 125, like at 13 or 14, and he was 16, let's say. So we started going to those. As soon as he got his license, my dad took us a couple of times, but he was all done. So my brother would drive. So we did that. And uh, my brother did pretty good. You know, we, we got awards at the end of the year at the banquet. I, I got one award. I got in 1978, I got uh, like... What the heck was it? Like third place or something or fourth place in the junior Enduros. I actually have the plaque. Wow. That's one of those plaques I saved. It's right here. 1978 Junior Enduro Championship, 250 class, fourth place, Tom Norton. I don't know why I was in the 250 class. I have no idea. 
Yeah, because you rode 125 pretty much your entire life. <laughs> but I did, I did have a Hercules 175 for a little while, so that's probably why. Once I entered that class, I couldn't get out of it or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but that's how it started. And then we went to hair scrambles, and the first ones we went to were at Fort Devens, which is an army base in Mass. And they have shitloads of land, and they used to let us ride in there, but they don't anymore. And uh, when you went to those events, you signed up. And I remember, like, Kevin Lavoy being there. I heard you talking about him in that blog with Jared Bolton. Yep. And he he was, like, the hero of this area at that time, the fastest guy. And uh, I remember going there and seeing him, and me and my brother like, ooh, that's Kevin Lavoy, you know? And uh, at, at Hair Scrambles, you had everybody had to take one boot off and throw it in a pile, and then you would... Run to the from your bike. You'd had to run in front of the bikes to the pile. Grab a boot, hopefully your boot. Put your boot on and go get on your bike, and then take off. That's how you started hair. So that's I mean that's how quote unquote fun hair scrambles were supposed to be. Kind of when they got started for you guys. Yeah. So it wasn't taken seriously at all, and there was no championship. And when it got started, Netra wouldn't allow a championship because wow. they didn't want it. They didn't want it to get crazy they just wanted guys to go to an event just have fun and not have everybody arguing and fighting over somebody did this and somebody did that you know they gave out trophies but it was a joke it was just like nobody cared like go have a ride you know i always say where else can you go go for a ride and if your bike breaks down somebody drag you out of the woods you know what i mean it's like it was just for fun but over time they realized that holy shit we're getting all these bikes and these clubs want to have more of these events and they can make a lot of money and we can have a whole series and then it went and i don't know when it started actually as a point series because you know at that time in my life you know i was getting a little older and couldn't afford bikes for a little while because i you know moved out of my house and had to get a place and right all that yeah stuff. life you know life life happens yeah and so then I went back to racing probably in uh, 80, probably 85 or 86. I had a Can-Am 250, and I went to just a few hair scrambles here and there to have fun, and I just entered the novice class. I never really raced adult hair scrambles ever, and I'd do okay. You know, sometimes I'd, I'd do okay, and sometimes I wouldn't. You know, the bikes I had were junk, and I didn't have new tires or anything and old gear and just just out having fun, you know. Absolutely. The good thing is, is that's what it's really about. But then you just kind of were at a point where you could start to, I guess, take it more seriously or, or just have a little bit better equipment once yeah, you're well, in kind of that mid-90s or mid-80s. Yeah, well, I, you know, I got more, I, I got a house and I got settled in my house and then I could spend some more money racing and all that. And so yeah. in 80, 80, uh, I bought an 86 250 KTM used in 87 because I couldn't afford a new bike. Right. And I went to a couple of hair scrambles, and uh, I remember I entered a hair scramble in Connecticut and in the C250 class, and I got the whole shot, and I finished the race, and I'm just back on my truck, and some kid walks up to me. He's like, hey, you're the guy who won, right? I go, yeah, how you doing? I'm Tom. We introduced ourselves. He goes, you know, you beat me by like 14 minutes, and I'm like, what? <laughs> It's just like, what? He's like, yeah, 14 minutes. You, you almost lapped second place. I'm like, I was like, what? That, that's impossible. He's like, I'm telling you, go look at the timesheet. I'm like, holy shit, you know? And uh, then I was like, wow, maybe I do have some speed. You know what I mean? I'm like, hmm. So uh, it just evolved after that. I finally got better bikes and better stuff and took it more seriously and Got a bunch of guys to ride with, and 
Then I won my first uh, adult race in 88 on a KTM 350 that I had. And that's when I started. We started really going to all the races and stuff. Yeah, and that was the 350 that you kind of hurt yourself on a little bit, right? Because, like, at that point is when you kind of – that's when you were starting to realize that, like, 125s were kind of your bread and butter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I splatted myself, like, four times in a row on that thing. And uh, many – a couple of bad crashes and, you know, missing work and all that. And then I was like, you know, maybe this is a bad idea. Right. And uh, so then my buddy Louie had a – Honda 125 for sale in 87. He just wanted to get rid of it. So I bought it and I started riding that and I was like, wow, this thing is so easy to ride. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. You know, it weighed like 198 pounds. I'm like, yeah. It probably felt like 75. It was just like, oh my God. Yeah. It was a joke. You could just pick it up. I mean, the thing is back then, the hair scrambles around here, they were gnarly. I mean, they were tough. You would, you were going to get stuck on a hill in a mud hole. You're going to bury the thing in the mud. You're going to pull it out of a mud hole. You're going to have to help someone else so they'll help you. I mean, it was tough. They's not like now where these guys go out and they hold their bike wide open all day. Right. You know, back in the 80s and the early 90s, these races were hard. You know, to finish a race was an accomplishment for most people just because it was just the terrain was just difficult. Yeah. And that's kind of like, like again, like you, were, you, you kind of – played up to the fact that Jared Bolton and I had talked about the Blackwater 100 and what and everything there. And like a lot of people were showing up and they were just hoping for one lap. Right. Like right. that was like, oh, yeah. you know, and obviously at this is America, you know, that is, or was at the time, whichever way you want to look at it, America's toughest race. And so, yeah, I could imagine that if it's America's toughest race and you know, it's a hundred miles and you're going to go do 25 and be excited and then have a beer and go cheer people like, heck yes. Like make that happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my my dad and I were just having uh, a discussion. He was, we went to the National Enduro in Oklahoma, and he was just like, "I just, I just feel like these are too easy now." And I go, "Dad, I was like, the thing is, it's it's different. It's a much different style of racing. It's not as grueling as it used to be. But if you think about it, the fact is, is we may not be doing as many miles, and we may not be doing them the way that you did them, but." We're doing as many miles as we're doing, and we're doing them literally as fast as we can the entire time unless we're in a transfer section. So, you know, the 72 miles we did in Oklahoma was tough because when we were in a test section, it was 30 miles an hour, but you're trying to go as fast as you can. And he's just kind of like, ah. But once he got, once he saw it and at the end of it, he was kind of like, you know what? I like it. It was way easier for me as a spectator to be in places and to be a pit dad and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting how evolution can happen, right? And it's just it is yeah. what it is, you know. And, and you're talking about how races were more grueling back then, and we totally agree. It's it's just that it's interesting how things have evolved because it's not that the racing's any easier, right? Like they're going faster, they're hitting things harder, but it's just the type of race that is happening now is just different. And, and we could say that about hair scrambles, you know, equaling GNCC or Enduros, you know, timekeeping versus what we have now in the National Enduro Series. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm spent <laughs> after a National Enduro, right? And yeah. I could imagine at the same time too, like, you know, I, I do in National Enduros back when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. Like, if I finished, I was like, hell yeah. And I still am kind of the same today. Like, I'm glad I finished. Like, woot. I want to finish your something. 
Right. So it, it's just weird that that happens um, in the way we talk about racing back in the day. Because I don't disagree with it because I watched it, but I just wasn't old enough to uh, participate. It, it's just crazy how much racing has changed. Um, sorry, that was a weird sidebar. But... And you can you can agree to disagree or say that I'm batshit crazy, but yeah, whichever, however it works out. No, no, I agree. The uh, certainly the National Duros has morphed into a whole more six day qualifier format. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's basically what what I see it as. And and that's I mean they they've done that to make that as a feeder series for the six days, and that's an understandable thing. And the land use issues come up with any of these big enduros now because how do you lay out all this stuff and have guys register their bikes, which is getting really, really difficult. Oh, my gosh, so, yeah. Like to plate a, yeah. a quote-unquote dirt bike these days is would be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you know, and I bought the Husky 350 this year just for that purpose. It's got a plate on it, you know. It's got directionals and everything else. And uh, <laughs> you got to use those in the woods, though. You know that, right? Like when you're taking a left, you got to turn left. Like just so you're I, fucking, you got to fuck with the guy in, behind you. Uh, you put on the wrong one is what you do. Oh, okay. <laughs> as long as you're fucking with them, that's all I want to hear. Or you just leave one on, just drives people nuts. <laughs> that's all. There we go. I'm glad. That's that's all I needed to know. As long as you're messing with people's minds when you're riding that bike with uh, blinkers in the woods, then I'm okay with yep. it. <laughs> yep. so I'm, I didn't do any racing this year, but next year I'm definitely going to some races, and I'm gonna. I just gotta ride it just like it is. Perfect. And I'm sure you're still going to kick ass on it. So we we kind of got to that late 80s, right? We're getting near that point. You're starting to kind of like get a little bit of help. You're figuring things out. And I think what it was is 89 might have been one of the times, your first time to the Blackwater 100. When was your first time to go to that event as a racer? Yeah, 89 is the first time I went. You know, to us, the Blackwater was a big deal, and guys all talked about it. And a lot of guys went down there and said it was just ridiculous what he put you through. And... uh so I had that 350, and I went down there in 89. And, um, you know, I was thinking the other day, did I – I don't know if I won the Open A class or not. I don't know. Um, I rode Open A, and I did pretty good. I got 11th overall. And, um, like, at the riders' meeting of the thing, Dave was like, I don't want you assholes racing down the street and raising hell. You know, when you get into the streets, just kind of act civilized. You can do anything else, you know. So – I raced the whole event and, you know, didn't have any huge issues. I just, I didn't want to kill myself. So I, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I gave it all I had and I was beat afterwards, but I didn't want to burn out either. But, uh, at the end of the last lap, I was behind this guy and he was going like hell. So I just said, you know, what? I don't know who he is or whatever, but he was on a Husqvarna. And so I just stayed with him when we got to the pavement and we were just together. We rode side by side all the way to the barrels and, he wasn't really racing through town either, and he was in front of me when we hit the tar, so I let him stay in front of me, and it was Fred Hose, who's from New Jersey, and yeah. he's an accomplished racer in his own. And uh, so he got 10th overall at the Blackwater, and I got 11th. And so, you know, you look at the top 10, his name's 10th, and I didn't make it into the top 10, you know, but I didn't know, and I was certainly happy with an 11th, that's for sure. Oh, heck yes. Um, so, so what doing during that first year at the Blackwater 100 um what did you learn what did you go what did you kind of go okay this is what I need to try to change do different or I just I'm more educated now so when I come back and race again I'm just going to kind of know things differently um well I learned about the terrain more than anything you know um 
I was, if you want to use the word ignorant, you just, uh, when you leave your region, you know, and I learned this all through my lady years in GNCC, it's so hard to set up, set a bike up or choose tires or all that stuff. You just, you don't know until you do it, you know? Right. Uh, so, no, that's a steep learning curve. Like when I went down and did the GNCCs for the first time, full, you know, full year, you learn real fast when you get the wrong tires on the track because you're just going backwards. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you th that I would think about. But, uh, I just knew that it was going to be tough and that I needed to prepare and, you know, be in good shape and eat right and be hydrated and, you know, have rock tires on and, um, and, you know, that year is when I was just like, you know what, it's time for a small bike. And that's when I got rid of that 350 in 89 and I bought the 1990 KTM 125 and started racing that and started winning. And uh, actually, I didn't win any hair scrambles that year on the 90 KTM 125, but I won the championship up here with seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths, just missed the consistency. Right. But, uh, I did win the King Philip Enduro, which was my local Enduro which I wasn't a member of that club. I was a member of another club. And uh, so I rode that, and I won that Enduro the weekend before the Blackwater. And uh, I had been riding with a bunch of fast guys, so I was hauling the mail. And uh, so I went down there, and I, I, you know, I went down there. I wanted to do well, but I hadn't, you know, I wanted to win, but you know, I was realistic that, you know, it's, I thought it would be a long shot. But, uh and then it all changed, you know? Yes. Just, uh, I was, uh, the, the one thing that happened that I think, and I think back about it, I was sitting there at the start, and we literally brought a lawnmower and everything, and we, like, mowed a patch. I was literally on the starting line. I drove my truck right in these bushes. I had a shitbox pickup, and we had an open snowmobile trailer with all that shit on it. I just got out the mower, mowed a patch, drove it right in the bushes, just like... My trailer was at the start line. I'm talking, like over the start line. So the start line was before my truck. So I just had to roll my bike out and get on the line. So, because we stayed in a, a little house. And um, so I'm literally 15 minutes before the race. I got all my gear on. My wife would always try to feed me because she knows I eat like a pig. Right. So she, she's always feeding me because I need a lot of food. So she walks up to me with this like Tupperware container with the lid off with a fork stuck in it with pasta salad. Here, eat this. So I'm just like, I'm nom, 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 eating, 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 eating. I didn't know if there was bees in it. Bees had landed in it, and so I ate a bee. Oh, shit. It, it bit me on the inside of my front lip, like right under my lip. And I was so fucking mad when I got to the line. <laughs> I was so fucking mad, and my lip was sticking out like I got punched in the face. And I was on the line, and I was like, Rrr. I was just possessed. I was like off my rocker. When that thing went off, I was just gone. I was just... That's all I can say is I was possessed that day. Yeah, that so, was uh, with the with the the referee with the green flag and the high water yep. white shorts. Yeah, old Russ, good old Russ. Yep. Yeah. He just flipped it, and you guys took off. Yeah, and those starts are so crazy because I think it was what about five guys at one time, and then they would kind of hold yeah. up a line and go and f five yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, so, the, like, you're 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 you know we could talk all day about how awesome it was to win. Just break it down, like how. How badass! Like, what? What are some of the crazy things that happened during that event? That like, just we know. Um, you know, I think there was a 
you and Eddie Lojack got together, or was it you know Larry Rossler maybe that you got together with? And then you know uh, tell us about the Moon Rocks and like all the crazy creek crossings and stuff like that because your stories are going to be better or different from anybody else that we talk to, right? Even if we found some mud fleas to talk to from back then, like. I think, you know, your perspective is going to be just insane from your little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles helmet. Yep, yep. Remember, I wasn't a turtle yet. Oh, that's true. No, I was just a regular Joe on a KTM. But, uh, well, I I started on the road with Rossler because he picked number one out of the bucket and I picked two. And, like, you know, the year before I picked, like, you know, 254. You know what I mean? And that's just how it was. The next year I picked, like, 117. And, you know... So, I mean, it's just, you had no idea, mm. but, uh, but, you know, when the race started, I mean, the first thing, and I remember is just like the people asked me, what was it like to ride with Larry Ross? I'm like, well, I don't know. I was only with him for like a mile and a half because you just went through a little Creek and then you went, you know, right out of that area and cruised along. And the first big mud hole we came to, he was leading and he downshifted when he saw the mud hole. I upshifted and just hung a big wheelie and just, just went through it. And I was just like, I am out of here. I don't want to be behind him. <laughs> you know? And that's the last I saw of him. And then the next next thing, you know, you just cruise the whole lap. But, you know, the, the lap is huge. It's 25 miles. So you go like four miles out from town. Then you got to go through that first river. And that's the one that they would dam up with all the rocks. So you didn't know what was in there. And so I would just jump off my bike and walk through it. And then on the other side was it was basically the power lines and you had to go up this loose power line just full of little like baseballs and softball sized rocks a lot of them loose all churned up but it seemed like miles you just go up and up and up and up and up and up and uh there wasn't a lot of people out that area but down in the town area there's just people everywhere you know there's girls out there flashing their titties at you and you know it's just fucking crazy there's people out in the woods everywhere sounds like a good time Oh, yeah. You know, some of the crazy things that happen, one of them, you, come, you go up and over like a mountain. You see those videos of these guys stuck on hills. There's just some big-ass hills out there. And um, one of those hills I was coming down, and actually, I, you know, me and Eddie Lojack came together. He just popped out of the woods somewhere. I don't even know where he came from. And I just knocked him over, basically. And I ripped, ripped my front brake hose off. And uh, so I had no front brakes. So I'm riding like a maniac, and I got no brakes. And so I kept crashing because of that, too, because you just be flying. You hit the back brake and you got nothing. And you just sometimes you just throw it on the ground to stop yourself. I mean, what do you do? You got no brakes and you're going like hell. But uh, some of the craziest things, I was coming down one of those mountains and um, all of a sudden, you know, and the trees are really hung over. So you can't see that far. And I'm just blasting down this hill like fourth gear. And an F-250 was coming up the hill full of drunks, all throwing shit and screaming and yelling like the total West Virginia pickup truck, you know? Exactly what you would imagine <laughs> if you think exactly of rednecks in the back. <laughs> I almost hit the thing dead center. I am talking like I just like slid over enough and missed it. And they're all like, woo, that's awesome. And, and you're like, like you almost, almost killed me. I almost died, you know? I mean, it's just shit like that everywhere. It's just crazy, you know? But uh, who, who knew that the, the terrain at the Blackwater 100 was also the people? Like they oh, were, yeah. they were yeah. part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I first got to that 93 river cross and you just, it's like you're coming down a power line as I remember. And then the arrows just veer you off and all of a sudden you start seeing this trucks and cars and this all whole mass, massive colors. Cause there's people and stuff. And the arrows just 
went right into the people, and I was just pinned on my 125. And it was like, Wah! and I just went right into these people. They all just parted like Moses parting the sea. They all just parted, and I just drove off the bank, and, and it was, <laughs> you know, however many feet down. I didn't even know it was there. I right. Just like went, Boom, and I'm in the air, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I landed, and the water was just like a wave. It just went right over me, just drenched me. And my bike almost died. It just started cutting out. It was going, bingo, And I, I, you know, all of a sudden I realized I'm in this mass of people and they're all screaming at me, just cheering like, Wah! So I just held it wide open and dumped the clutch and threw it up on the bank. And then they let out even a bigger cheer. Oh, I bet. You know, and then they just, you know, you push it up and they do the human monkey chain and drag you up the hill. It's not a big bag, and it's just that it's red, it's clay, and it's soaking wet because they just sit there and throw water on it. It's like right. slime. Yeah. You know? It's just crazy. Holy shit. And that was probably just lap one. <laughs> that was lap one. Yeah, that's lap one. <laughs> holy shit yeah so i mean but you're you're still in the lead right i mean this is like you leading this thing while all of this is happening right yeah yeah obviously eddie caught up to me and then we collided and then uh i never saw him you know all of a sudden he was yeah just hit you yeah and uh so then you know got back into town and i only had the stock gas tank and i couldn't go 50 miles so i had to fuel it up every lap so i brought it in threw it on the stand and uh, I just got a little red gas can. I never had a, never even knew what a dump can was or anything like that. I'm just like going dug, 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 you know. <laughs> awesome. Don't even know. And I just, I wore goggles for two laps, so I just took off again. And uh, the second lap was just more of the same, except now there's just people everywhere. There's bikes stuck everywhere, and now you got all the lappers and everything. So that gets even crazier because now you got people stuck everywhere, and the. The little bog crossings and stuff, they weren't that bad that year because it was actually dry that year. So the mud bogs weren't killer, but they're just soft. It's like swampy stuff. So, I mean, I always said I'd rather crash and be on the other side of it than just fag out and just drive into it and get stuck. So I just grab gears, just try to pull a wheelie, hit a big ditch, do an endo, get up, pick the bike up. At least I'm on the other side. Right. Just get out of here, you know, because so many guys would just drive in and just be buried for the day. They're all done. You know, because there's just no bottom to it. Yeah, I think when we were talking with Jared, he was mentioning that there was a couple people that were talking about how they, like, always head for the spectators in some of those situations. Like, if they're there, obviously, because that's the solid ground. And I'm like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Oh, yeah. That's an old, old trick up this way. That's for sure. And doing, you got to realize, you got to cross rut, too. Some people never even think of that. If all ruts go in one direction, like, just go all the way to the left and come across them at an angle. Just you can go across the worst rut you ever seen, pinned in like second gear, like skipping over the top of them, like little whoopty doos. Just like get to the other side, turn around, do it again. Do three of those across a big rutted area, and you're on the other side. Yep, it's funny. We were again, we were talking about the talking about that with Stewart and uh, and, and Corey Buttrick at uh, NEPG. After that, I was like, man, what did you guys think about that second test with all their ruts? And they're like, well, we just squared up every turn and went. 45 degrees across all the ruts and i was like you guys are awesome and i still suck at this so <laughs> i'm glad to know that that's a trick that uh that's been around for a long time and i'm just slow to learn well survival survival yeah. of the fittest right yeah i'll be i'll be really good at this one day probably not probably not practice makes perfect yeah i know gotta sure. practice just gotta ride more right well so 
when you're coming across, right, you're, you're on your last lap, are you still knowing you're leading at this point? Yeah, I knew I was leading. And uh, big, it was funny. I got to say, Big Dave kept popping up all the time. And because uh, they're on the radio with him saying, uh, you know, this kid's leading and who is he and blah, blah, blah. And I would see Big Dave, he'd just pop up and I'd wave at him. And he was like, who is this guy? He's waving at me while he's racing. I remember them saying that. Because when I'm in the when I'm in the rocks, I'm in like my comfort zone. So I'm in the rocks. I'm just like just dancing along like it's nothing. It's you know super easy. And so I'd be in all these rocky things, and he'd be like, he all of a sudden he'd be there, and I'd be just like, oh, all right, bye. The moon rocks I thought was the best part of the whole place because I would just pin it through the stuff. And uh, I mean, it was like a paved road if you got going like forty. It was nothing. You know, you just got to grab gears, you know, and just skip right over it. That's probably the most insane thing I've ever heard. But at the same time, I'm also not as fast as you guys. So it probably makes complete sense. Yeah. It's just like riding down a railroad bed on the railroad ties. You ever do that? You get next to the tracks? You ever uh, done that? Nope. Okay. Well, next time you're out there, get on the railroad ties and go. You can go wide open. I literally you can go 70, 70 miles an hour on the railroad ties and they get smooth. You just say, it's like nothing. You just the, the the beginning of it's a little rough. You're like right get to get there. Past. You're just skipping over everything. You can go down the railroad tracks and you'll have to hit all the whoopie doos in the gravel. Just get up on the ties. I like it. I think that we're defining batshit crazy right now, and I'm loving every second of it. Yeah, yeah. But the the, the last lap, I have a couple of good ones. Is the, the last? I don't know which last section it was but there was like an old they called it a tramway which was an old because you got to realize that area down there was strip mined right first it was logged strip logged and then it was strip mined for coal and so the whole joke is it's like you know the environmentalists want to save the valley well it's already been strip mined so uh you know there's not a lot to save right so the dirt bikes driving out there didn't really hurt it much but uh on the run into town like at the end like the last few miles you come down this big long railroad bed that was pretty straight and you could just hold your bike wide open i'm talking wide open and there was some whoops in it and stuff but i was i was also a little thirsty because i didn't have a lot of water so i probably wasn't thinking straight but i knew there was this huge ass ditch in there like a big washout gully that was like you know 25 30 feet across and uh so i was i'm talking tapped like you hold your bike open for a little while tap so i mean even on 125 and get going 65 oh yeah i just totally forgot about this huge ditch that you could probably go through at like 20 you know so i was just bombing along and all of a sudden it just popped up because i forgot about it and i was like holy shit and i hit the other side at like 65 so i was like a whole bike below like your face is even with the edge of the dirt on the other side I oh, this shit. Hole. and i hit the other side luckily it wasn't straight up i hit it i bounced in the air like 20 feet I'm not kidding just wham straight up in the air and i was just like like doing a supercross jump and i'm like wow i can't believe i'm not doing a fucking echo i'm like holy <laughs> shit i land from that and i just go oh well i pin it again and i'm now it started to get dusty because there was quads everywhere there's people riding quads everywhere they're on the trail the tracks everywhere so it's getting a little dusty i figure i gotta pass a quad that's not a racer obviously right right well all of a sudden out of the dust coming towards me was four quads coming at me. I'm talking a railroad bed that's not much wider than a quad. And each one, I never let off the throttle because it happened so fast. Each quad turned like one went left, you know, they're coming at me. So they went left, right, left, right. 
I missed each of those quads by like a quarter of an inch. I'm talking a quarter of an inch each. I went right through them like they just moved out of the way. And I was just wide open, 65, just in the dust. Couldn't really see. Just I'm just like, holy shit, I can't believe I didn't just die. Like, <laughs> Again. Holy shit. I mean, it was unbelievable. And that's the stuff that goes on down there. There's just so many people. I don't know. You know, people guess how many thousands of people were down there. You right. Know, pick a number. Was there 10, 20, 30,000? I don't know. They were a everywhere. Shit ton. You know, just everywhere. Uh, so you get the win. Uh, Mark Hyde comes through thinking that he got the win and he's in second. Right, that's 1990, yeah. I believe. That's the year that that happened. Like, and then, holy shit! Like, you're up there, just super excited and having a great time, right? Yeah, I was a little pumped. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> I yeah. bet the pictures are awesome, man. You just look so stoked. I mean, that's as you should, right? Not like, not like you could just stand there and be like, "Oh, thank you, my sponsors," and all those kinds of stuff. I mean, you you pushed hard and you kicked a lot of ass for a hundred miles, so. Yep, yep. And that was the you. You've left out the whole fuck you thing too. You know. That oh whole, well, bring it, bring know. it on, because I love a good fuck you story. You know, team fuck you. That's what we were, and uh, so of course my bike had the huge fuck you stickers all over it and everything, and so that's I was up there spewing all our, our propaganda, as you would call it. So if you will, from the mind of Jerry, Jerry so, B, Jerry Bonato. So it was all pretty entertaining, as they say. But uh, being up there was pretty cool. It was uh, Tim Shepard and Mark Hyde. They were second and third. Tim Shepard is a good racer in his own right, and I ended up riding for him later in life. But, uh, yeah, that was quite the thing up there. The one funny thing is there was a guy in the audience, you know, down below the stage there, and he was a big – I'll just call him a big hillbilly. He was a big, huge man with overalls on, sunburned as hell. And he's just looking at me, and he's pointing at me with his finger. And he's, he could hear him over everybody, and he's yelling, You the man! That's right! I'm telling you, you the man! And he's screaming. He screamed that for like 10 minutes. So then, that's the big joke, is that I'm the man. And Bonato made me a plaque that says, The Fuck You, You the Man Award. And I, <laughs> and I put that plaque over my toilet in my bathroom when I got home. And that was there for like 15 years till I moved from that house. To my new house and uh my wife wouldn't let me put it in the new bathroom so uh, it's, uh, it's in my trailer it's in my motorcycle trailer so when anybody goes in the trailer i have my fuck you you the man award in there well right man there. uh jerry bernardo had a fuck you award for the balls of palooza that was put on here in texas um yep. it was balls of palooza four i think we need to see we need to obviously check with him we're not going to do this without without but see if uh, we could bring back the you the man award and maybe get you to come <laughs> down to the event and uh and and be down here with us and have some fun and uh, and give fun. out a you to man award yep it is funny that's for sure we'll get you in so some overalls and uh and make sure that you're yep. just there yelling at people yep so you know the, the funny thing about the gnccs is just that it's a whole you know off-road races are just a bunch of good people they just want to have fun and most of them are willing to help whoever and just want to just have you know get out of work and not have to work all weekend you know but uh, there was this guy, and I wish I could remember his real name, but I don't. I remember his face, and he was a super nice guy, and he always came and talked to me. And he was like a big hillbilly to me. And he always had overalls on. So funny. And he was, a, he was there with the quads, you know. And after the quads, he would watch the bikes the next day. And he would always walk up to me in my little 
set up and he'd be like, you damn Yankee. He always called me damn Yankee. <laughs> and I always called him country ham because whenever you went to Denny's, whatever, they're like, you want ham or you want country ham? So that was a big yuck. He'd always come rum- rumbling into my little area and he'd always shake my hand and he was a hot shit. He was just a funny guy. And uh, I remember one day I go, okay, so what's the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? He's like, well, obviously, the Yankee is the one who comes to visit the South. The damn Yankee is the one who doesn't have the brains enough to go home. So <laughs> that's what that meant. And so, <laughs> Feel free to leave at any time. At any time. And one day I asked him, so I got to ask, what's the difference between ham and country ham? And he's like, well, believe it or not, country ham is even saltier. They cure it longer. I'm like, why? He goes, that's a very good question. Why? Because they want to kill us sooner. I don't know. You know, he was just <laughs> he was just funny. I like it. Well, I'm glad to know that you've got such great people in your life because that's that's what we all need. Well, um, so all we, I mean, we could obviously we could keep this up. We could keep going forever. But it's like you, you, you know, 1990 was the pinnacle. You know, with that, it got you into a lengthy career. You know, of racing dirt bikes, and there was some bankruptcy of KTM. Doing the teenage, teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that turned with on a Honda, a good, and then to Kawasaki for a while and everything. Yep. But then, kind of like what, what just what are you doing today like what is what does a tommy norton do today and are you still involved with dirt bikes to any degree oh yeah well tommy norton works a lot you got to realize that uh when i stopped doing the nationals was 96 and i was a little financially strapped as they say because most people spend their living not make a living racing dirt bikes if, yes so, understood you know people are like oh it must be so nice i go yeah it's great except that i wish i made some money Right. You know, you know, any money I made, I just burned trying to go to more races and whatever. But uh, so I put all that energy into work that I had into racing. And I had to because I was 34 years old. And I didn't I mean, I had a house and, you know, I got a beautiful wife and um, all that stuff. But I didn't have a 401k or anything like that. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, you got to go out there and make it happen. And that's what I did. I just went out and let it let her rip with work and. I got a nice little construction company that I have. It's it's not big, but I get a lot done for a little company and go out there and make money and have some toys. I got uh, a new Husqvarna, uh, whatever it is, a 17350 with the blinkers and all that stuff. But I, you know, got it all fixed up and wood's ready and still rip it up on that thing and do a bunch of turkey runs up here. They're just uh, organized rides, really. It's like an enduro without the enduro. And... Um, Everybody just shows up and goes riding. There's no racing. It's just to have fun. And every now and then I'll do a race. I haven't done one this year. I don't know if I did one last year. The year before I did a couple of hair scrambles and enduros just for fun. Yeah. And, um, I have a Hooserberg 250 that my son rides, a four-stroke, which I have the whole kit on it. So that's got the directionals too because they didn't have one then. That's a 14. Oh, and, yeah, uh, right before the right before the, the, EXC. the buyout, whatever. Yeah. Yep, so I got that. So we got two four-strokes, a 250 and a 350, and I ride both of them. And I ride with my buddies, and uh, you know, I might go riding with Jerry Randall this weekend, and he's the guy who put together the whole Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing out there in Northampton. He's a dealer out there, and he still rides. And um, so, you know, I'm still having fun. I got I got into snowmobiling, which I had one when I was in the 80s. I had a couple, probably two snowmobiles, like 80. Four to eighty six, I snowmobiled a little bit. Yeah, and uh, 
So in 2006, I bought a snowmobile and a trailer, and uh, my son was like seven or eight, and so I would take him riding, and he absolutely loves snowmobile, and that's his favorite thing to do. And he's 20 now, and so uh, we go snowmobiling in the winter, and that's a big deal for us. And the snowmobiling up in New Hampshire, Maine, is just to die for. So uh, we have a lot of fun doing that. And, awesome. Uh, what about snow bikes? You guys thinking about getting a taking those three fifties and two fifties and figuring nope. that out? I am not going there because I got a story for that. The oh, thing shit. is, around here, I don't think it's worth the money. Out west, yes. If you were out west and riding them, you would be in heaven. But out here, we went to a a demo day. This is a long time ago, but uh, me and my buddy Kerry, who's a six day rider, he's my riding buddy. I go with the most, and he. Uh, got the wind that they were having one of these demo days for one of those. And I forget what brand it was, but far enough back where they had a BMW bike when BMW had the four stroke. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and they had a KTM 300 and a KTM 450 and a whole bunch. They had a fleet, you know, they had all these snow bike kits and went to some farm in Vermont and rode them around, but they wouldn't, they only let us ride around in an open area. But, uh, so these guys are from Canada with the kits, and the guy's like, I, I show you how to ride. You stay here. There was like 30 of us standing there. So this guy's ripping around this field, pinning this thing, just laying the thing down. He's told us, you got you to gotta really lay into the turn like a street bike and this and shit. He's out there going like 50 miles an hour, and he high-sides the thing and just absolutely yard sales himself. And we were just, <laughs> we, everybody just went, oh, shit, you know, and it's buddies run over and pick him up and screw his head back on and they like pick the fender because it's winter now okay pick yeah. the fender up pick this up pick that up it was like a plastic factory yeah you know? everything broke and, we, and everybody went Ooh, i don't want to do that today you know it's like shit so we test rode him and we were like fuck that i am not <laughs> one of those no way well, that would have been like two thousand. That would have been like mid two thousands at this at, the, at that point. Yeah. you could you yeah, could t- timber sled and and everybody else has got an Arctic Cat's got stuff coming out. I think with the Sherco bikes now, they've they've got to have evolved. You could. Uh, you I'm could talk- sure they're better, but um, last year we were snowmobiling and a YZ450 came by us going the other way, and. You know, he's coming at us, and he's got his foot down, and he's in a turn, and he's like, you know, and I'm just, like, looking at it, and I'm like, you know, I go snowmobiling in the winter, so I don't worry about hurting myself on my motorcycle. You know what I mean? So I'm just thinking, so I'm going to be on my pick, pick whatever bike up there, up north, bombing on these snowmobile trails as fast as you can go. I can't imagine taking a shitter. 15, 20, 30 miles from my truck on one of those things and just splattering myself, you know? I'm just like, you know what? I got to draw the line somewhere. I'm going to have a motorcycle and I'm going to have a snowmobile. And I'm not going to mix them together. And that's just how I feel about it. So that's all right. And I'm okay with that. Some people are going to take shots. Some people are going to drink beer and some people are going to do both. And that's fine. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, dude, if anybody wants to reach out to Mr. Tommy Norton to say hi and just to commune about dirt bikes and maybe keep the conversation going, is there is there ways? Are you on Facebooks or any of the, the craziness out there in the world for people to just reach out and say hi? I am not. I am not a Facebook guy. So I don't, I don't know. They're going to have to send up a smoke signal. Everything always goes through Bonato. He's like my little social media buddy. So it's all basically all over the uh, Fox U Facebook thing. 
I like much. it. So if anybody yeah. wants to get in touch with Tommy and talk more about Blackwater or talk more just about being a badass, his Ninja Turtle days and all the fun stuff, just make sure you reach out to the Fuck You guys with Jerry B and uh, yeah. and get in touch and Tommy will reach out. You know, if he wants to, he may just tell you to stop it. He's being a masshole today and it's just not a good day. Yep, yep. After that, well, hell yeah, dude. Well, I appreciate you spending a little bit more time than we thought we would, but that seems to be the running joke around here. Um, and, and just talking dirt bikes because holy shit, I'm not going to lie. Talking dirt bikes is awesome, and I love the stories, especially getting into some of the Blackwater 100 stuff. And and that was one of those things for me where, growing up in the 80s, you know, with my father racing in Southern Louisiana doing the Sarah stuff, like I knew about GNCCs as they kind of came in the, the late 80s and early 90s, and then I knew about the Blackwater, but it was all through magazines, right? It was there was never any chance of ever being up there for those events so to be able to talk with more people about that and just hear more stories just is awesome and i just really appreciate you taking the time to kind of like stoke the fire of uh of talking dirt bikes yeah no problem and i you know i i do go on fox you facebook thing and jerry has a whole thing about the black on it i just can't believe how much stuff is on there about it it's hilarious it's just so so many people have so many good memories of it it's just amazing and I found one picture in there. A lady made a quilt out of T-shirts. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, I did. I have to go find that. That sounds awesome. I was just like, that is unbelievable. And it's so funny seeing so many pictures of me on the T-shirts of people wearing the T-shirts. It's funny as hell. <laughs> You're like, I, do I, not, I don't remember being that sexy at all. Like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, Mr. Tommy Norton, thank you very much for your time. I hope that you have a great night and keep enjoying times with your son and your family and just, you know, the, the dirt biking that you do and the snowmobiling and just continue to be the masshole that you are or that the one that you want to be, right? There you go. That's awesome. right. <laughs> I like it, man. Well, you have a great night and we'll definitely be chatting soon. Okay, thank you. Absolutely, man. Bye. I really hope you guys were as entertained as I was during that interview. Obviously, Mr. Tommy Norton sounds like a fantastic dude. Not only has he been fast on a dirt bike, but his accent, his stories, everything makes talking to that gentleman so entertaining. We want to continue to bring you guys this kind of off-road entertainment. And so we've talked a lot about Patreon. What is Patreon? Patreon is a way for you guys to be able to say, yes, I think this content has value and I would like to give you X amount per month for me to say that I want to support what you guys are doing. That might be a dollar a month. That might be $3 a month. That might be more. However you see the value in what we're putting out, there is a way to do that and you can do that through Patreon at patreon.com slash seat time. If you just want to wear some seat time garb, make sure you head to fpmg.threadless.com so you can pick up yourself a Seat Time t-shirt. And yes, I do have a new Seat Time t-shirt in the works, so just be ready for that. And then, of course, you can go to seattime.co slash support. Use any of the affiliate links there. The Amazon banner, of course, is the big one because we all purchase a lot through Amazon. It doesn't cost you any extra. just gives us a little percentage back. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. It was really interesting. I got a call from a good buddy of mine, Alex Martins, and I just wanted to give a shout out to him and say thank you very much for the kind words. Um, It's awesome to know that people understand that I am an enthusiast of dirt bikes. I'm an enthusiast of off-road, and all I want to do is continue to talk to people that feel the same way. I'm not trying to do anything else except have a great time talking dirt bikes. So 
We'll see you guys on the internet. Remember to always enjoy a pint full of awesome. And yeah, peace.